Lamentation 3, verse 1 through to 33. We read that the word of God as follows. I am the man who has seen affliction under the wrath of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He's made my flesh and my skin waste away. He's broken my bones. He's besieged me and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He's made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He's walled me, me about so that I cannot escape. He has made me ch my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He's blocked my ways with blocks of stone. He has made my path crooked. He's a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He's made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I've become the laughing stock of all the people, an object of their taunts all day long. He's filled me with bitterness. He has seated me, sated me with wormwood. He's made my, made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I forgot what happiness is. So I say my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Remember my afflictions and wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. And these are the verses of our text. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. So far. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It's good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It's good for a man that he bear the yoke of in, in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes and let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he causes grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love, for, the does, for he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. So far, she will focus in particular on verse 24. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. In response to the sermon, <coughs> in response to the sermon, we will sing from Psalm 73, verse 8. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, this morning in the preaching, I would like to focus on the hope that gives strength to cope with life. The only 
true hope. No matter how dark life may become, hope to find rest in a broken life. Rest also amid all the turmoil in this world. There's a saying, hope fuels life. But how often is this hope not crushed? And when this happens repeatedly, one's outlook on life can become very negative. Depression sets in. Hope fuels life. But what if it becomes harder and harder to pay the mortgages due to increasing living costs? Others struggle with severe illness or emotional upheavals, mental health, which make life hard to cope with. What kind of real hope still exists when life is like this? Because of this, many people live by the same slogan as mentioned by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Make the most of life for tomorrow it can be too late. That's society. But beloved, what would one see if for a moment we turn the spotlight away from society and let it shine on life within the church? Would we something see completely different? What I mean, would people see in our life that we do have hope? His first letter, the Apostle Peter writes, through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have been born again to a living hope. It's because of Easter that there is hope again. Because Christ overcame death. Hope, even things might look only do dark and gloomy, from a human point of hope. In Christ there is hope. Hope also for this present society. This was brought home to me when, some years ago, I watched a beautiful power presentation. I don't have that here to do that, but hopefully I can make that clear to you. Visualize a room, a dark room, with just four candles in it. Four candles. Peace, faith, hope. Sorry, peace, faith, love, and hope. Four candles. Now, in that presentation, these candles talk softly to each other. The first candle, the candle of peace, says, The world is full of anger, fighting, nobody can keep me lit. And so the flame went out. The second candle, the candle of faith said, I'm no longer indispensable, it doesn't make sense that I stay lit for another moment. Everyone has given up on faith. As this candle went out. Now, the third candle, the candle of love, said people don't understand anymore what love is all about. They've simply put me aside. They even forgot to love their nearest neighbor. And also that candle went out. Three candles out. It's a picture of society today. Where to find hope? But then, a child entered the room wondering why these three candles were no longer burning. And then the fourth candle started speaking. Don't be afraid. I am hope. Whilst I'm still burning, we can relit the other candles. 
And so the child took the candle of hope with shining eyes and relit all the other candles. So far the presentation. In 1 Corinthians 13, at the end of that beautiful chapter about love, the Apostle Paul writes, And now abide faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Yet at times, brothers and sisters, hope must rekindle the flame of faith and love. And that's the hope on which we may base our life. The secure foundation which we have in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The only true hope that gives strength to cope with life and to find even joy amidst all the brokenness. That's the gospel I may preach. Hope, since the Lord is my portion, therefore I have hope. I've summarized that, summarized that as follows. To find true rest in a broken life, God gives us this message Hope in me. In connection with that theme, we will look at two questions. What does this involve from our side? And what does God promise from his side? So what does it involve from our side when the Lord says, hope in me? <coughs> when reading Lamentations 3, brothers and sisters... Like many passages of scripture, it could have been written for the time we live in today. For it is so that sometimes we too have that same feeling, especially when we go through difficult times that we cry out, Lord, I don't know anymore. Sometimes life can become so dark that we, that we hardly dare to cherish hope. We struggle in faith. Well, Lamentations 3 confronts us with a similar situation. In the book of Lamentations, the prophet Jeremiah calls to mind the period of Jerusalem had fallen in the hands of the Babylonians, with most citizens being led away in exile. If you would have looked at Jerusalem in those days, completely destroyed, you, as you see it in Gaza today, that's what they had left behind. So what hope was there still? Five songs of laments convey the struggle of God's people they went through to come to terms with it. The gravity of God's wrath. And they knew it was just. God punishing his people for their sins. But that didn't minimize the emotional struggle the people still went through. The agony, the bewilderment expressed in these five songs. And that's also the power of this book. Lamentations, tears, anguish, with which we too can identify. When storm hits us, when storm hits our life, like a cyclone. And that's one of the reasons that among church members, often there is a great love for those psalms, which contain the same tears and bewilderment of struggling children of God. Psalm 73, but also the psalm we just sung. Psalm 42, my tears have been my food day and night while they continually say to me, where is your God? It's this anguish, beloved, which we also find expressed in the book of Lamentation. Tears are shed, also this third chapter. Yet, amidst these tears, the author still clings to God. So let's have a look at how it all goes through this chapter and have a closer look at what this chapter is all about. In the verses 1 and 2 of this chapter, 
the author writes, I'm a man who has seen affliction. Under the rod of his wrath, he has driven me and brought me into the darkness without any light. And when they continue to read this song, especially the first part, the author almost portrays the Lord as his adversaries. Adversary. He feels himself completely forsaken by the Lord to the extent, in verse 18, that as far as the Lord is concerned, even as far as the Lord is concerned, he no longer cherishes any hope. Look at verse 18. It says there, So I say my endurance has perished, and so has my hope from the Lord. It's quite a sad conclusion, especially when you think that comes from the lips of a child of the Lord. The author struggles. He can't understand why the Lord put so much hardship on his path. His heart cries out, and yet, that's the point, he cries out his, his heart before the Lord. I'd like to highlight that. After all, the author does not say, let's forget about the Lord. The Lord doesn't do anything for me. No. He doesn't cry out his heart away from the Lord, but towards the Lord, even though it seems that heaven is shut. Verse 8. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. <coughs> It seems that heaven is shut, and yet the author keeps hope. He keeps clinging to the Lord. Now, in all this, brothers, this is, is a lesson for us. Sometimes, in the church, members get so frustrated, also faith-wise, that they break with the church. They walk away from God. But that's not a solution. After all, does that make life happier? When you walk away from the Lord? Does I... One receives more hope outside the church than inside the church? We know all the answer. Let's, indo, let's instead do what scripture teaches. If we for a moment use the words we just sung from the drowned version, Psalm 42. Oh my soul, why are you grieving? Why disquiet in me? Put your hope in God, believing he will still your refuge be. And that hope of which also the author of Lamentations 3 speaks, and to which he clings. I point you to verse 21. He says there in verse 21, But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Why? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. So in summary, even though life is hard, reflecting on the past, he says, The Lord... Is still there. I count on him. And isn't that how it goes with us as well? Have you never gone through a valley that at night you couldn't sleep and you cried out your heart but you couldn't find any rest? And that's why you were laying awake. But then all of a sudden it crossed. It just your mind, it struck you. What well, I'm doing here? Well, I'm so disappointed. The Lord is still there. That's what, this, that's what this chapter is all about. And then you reflect upon life, and then you see, yes, the Lord is still there. I have hope. Amid all the difficulties and the hardship. But now I'd like to make a comment, because in our conversations with fellow members in the church when they go through a valley, a 
comment like, the Lord is still there, can also come across as very cheap. I mention one example. Think of a couple struggling to come to terms with their recent mis miscarriage. Sometimes people say, look, you're still a few healthy children. Do people really understand what miscarriage is all about? When they come, it's comment like this. And in the same way, but the Lord is still there. Sometimes people are not even, even ready to, to swallow that. And so we should be more careful, showing patience, willing to listen, slow to speak. And it also counts to people with mental health. I visited once a person in hospital on the brink of suicide. Saturday night. And I said, shall I read with you from God's word? No. Shall I pray with you? No. So they have a person totally closed off to hear anything of this. And I left and said, that doesn't matter. I can't understand, but it doesn't matter. I go home and will pray for you. More I didn't say. So what I mentioned with that example is, we should be sometimes indeed willing to listen, slow to speak. That's one side. But there's also the other side. At times that the hardships we suffer, that, that not narrows our outlook on life so much that we no longer see the Lord who's still there to carry us. And then we become bitter. We almost put the Lord out of our life. It was not the case in this kind of suicide. But when this happens... We think that the Lord does injustice to us. We cry out our hearts before the Lord. And in the meantime, we forget to give thanks. And then I think of that, that verse of the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4, where he says, Pray to God with thanksgiving under all circumstances. Pray to God with thanksgiving under all circumstances. And that's something we should not forget. And we see that also in Lamentations 3. In this chapter full of bitter tears and lamentation, but he cries out his heart before the Lord, even though it seems that heaven is shut. Only darkness. But then there is suddenly light. And that's verse 18, which I just mentioned that he says there is no hope. But listen at verse 18. And that's what I mentioned already. So my endurance has perished, so my hope from the Lord. The Lord. That's the light that all of a sudden shines in this chapter. The Lord. But that's he who has promised that he will always be faithful. And that gives the author all of a sudden hope. After all, amidst all the difficulties and hardship, the author had to cope with his life. The Lord's mercies were still new every morning. That's what he remembers. And he remembers it also in such a way, speaking about mercies, that it was undeserved. And that's an aspect, brothers, this I would like to highlight. That we are totally undeserving of God's mercy. Also, when life goes through a valley, and we may wonder whether the Lord still hears us. During such a period in life where we shed tears with bitter lamentations, 
do we still lament also about our sins? Or is that during those days almost a forgotten chapter? If that were the case, the result could easily be that we no longer see that God's mercies are still there, despite the darkness our life is covered in. What I mean is, brothers and sisters, as in the valley of life, we still take, need to take time to confess our sins. Why? Because when you start confessing your sins, the greater you see God's mercy. That's what life is all about. When you confess your sins, and you see how totally unworthy we are of God's mercies, who am I? That I may share that. And then I look up, and the Lord is still there. Then I stand in awe of this great God, who in the valley of life still gives hope. And that's what Lamentations 3 calls to mind. When look at the hardship of life he goes through, it seems there's little hope left. But when he in anguish hears himself mentioning the name of the Lord, his mind suddenly turns. Despite all the afflictions that oppress him, my life has not ended because the mercies of the Lord are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. That's the turning point in this chapter. The author recalls that there is hope for the Lord is my portion. There's still hope. Not like the people in the world speak about hope. Let's hope for the best. Or something like that. They say that, but in the meantime, they have nothing to base that hope on. But concerning the Christian hope, that's different. Our hope rests in God's unwavering faithfulness. In this context, I like to note that in actual terms, hoping in God does not mean that we are still thankful that we can receive something from God. It's much more. We hope in God because he's the portion of my life. It means we know God carries our life and the trustworthiness of his promises, which are yes and amen in Christ Jesus our Lord. (coughs) Because of that amen spoken by God in Christ Jesus, God says to us, to you and me this morning, hope in me. Hope in me. You will never be put to shame. Concluding the first point of the sermon, brothers, is as if we are dealing with the question what hoping in God involves. We should also remember that hoping in God is more than just an emotion or a feeling. Instead, as I read somewhere, it's the confidence that divines the life of those who through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ have been born anew to a living hope. So the point is not how we define hope, more important, how do we live this hope? How do we live this hope? Hebrews 11 verse 100 says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, and the evidence of things not seen. And then the name of Abram is mentioned. Abram, 99 years old, the Lord sends him to a country, nothing. And the Lord, before he went on the journey, had said, I will bless you. Great nations will come from you. And then he went in Canaan. How will it go? Sarah is barren. I'm 99 years old. He could have given up on the Lord. But then it says here, against all human hope, he put his hope in God. 
that he would become the father of many nations. Fully convinced that what God had promised, he was also able to fulfill. Hold on to that, beloved. That whole chapter of Hebrews 11 gives us testimony of people of God who went through deep valleys, and yet, against all hope, they put their hope in God. And that's what God asks of us. Hope in me. Live by faith. By faith in Jesus Christ, the secure foundation of this hope. In Christ, <coughs> our risen Savior, our risen Savior, our hope is a living hope. He conquered death, and therefore we have hope when we turn to Christ. <coughs> a living hope. This also means we should not try to secure our lives similarly to the world around us, putting our hope in material things. And that can easily happen also in the church. You minimize on your church contribution because there is still such a high living cost or a mortgage. And therefore you don't become a member of the school because you wait till you have children. At least then you can save a bit and Maybe by the time there are children, our markets is a bit lower. These are real things. I think you know it when you, you, you talk with people. This is happening in the church. But then we have our priorities wrong. And so the question, living by hope, is also this. What has priority in your life? Does your life reflect that you put all your hope in the Lord? The Lord says, I will provide. I will provide whatever your need is. Does our life reflect that hope? Hope in me, says the Lord. And that's a, an expression that, that should determine all our actions. It's living by faith. which comes from the evidence things hoped for. Hope fuels life, but you can only say that of the Christian hope, to see God's blessings every day. There is a beautiful song, unfortunately that's a Dutch song, but I try to translate it because I, I like to pass it on. The title of that hymn is A Future Full of Hope. I'm not quoting the whole hymn but just a few lines. A future full of hope. In the night of struggle and strife, we look up to thee, seeking life. Praying for a new tomorrow, a future full of hope, without sorrow. Even if there are a thousand questions and we don't understand thy intentions, thou still carries us with love and care. Thou sees us everything everywhere. Thou gives us a future full of hope. That's what thou hast promised. So we can cope. No one else but only thee leads us through this life. God leads us. And therefore he says, hope in me. Only then you will find rest, peace in this broken world. Cling to my faithfulness. Having looked at what hoping in God requires from us, secondly, we'll look at what the Lord promises. 
What gives this author such a strong incentive to put his hope in the Lord? And that's what we find in verse 24, where the Lord says, The Lord is my portion, therefore I have hope in him. We meet that word more often in Scripture. Let us just have a look at a few of the Psalms. If you turn with me to first two Psalms 16, I mentioned you three Psalms, it say the sex say the same. Psalm 16. <clears throat> Psalm that also speaks about the end of life. And then it says in verse 5, Psalm 16, verse 5. The Lord is my chosen portion. My cup, you hold my lot. Psalm 63, which we also sing in response to the sermon, mentions the same word in verse 26. Psalm 73, verse 26, where it says, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And last example, Psalm 142, verse 5, where we meet the same expression again. Psalm 142, verse 5, where it says, I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. So, what, is, what does it now mean that the people say, the Lord is my portion? You have to to go back to Numbers 18 to understand that. Numbers 18 is a chapter that deals with the duties of the priests and the Levites, and in addition, it says also how the Lord would provide for his servants and his livelihood, and then the promised land is divided in all kinds of sections, every type, every tribe, his own portion of land. Every type, apart from the tribe of the Levites. There it says, the Lord will be your portion. So all the tribes had land. The Levites didn't have land. But it says there, the Lord will be your portion. What does that mean? Well, the tribe of Levi and the house of Aaron did not receive any portion. But they lived directly from the hand of the Lord. In other words, the Lord was their portion. And that's how we provide for the ministers in our churches. They, they don't have things like you may have, perhaps, although it is better than in the olden days. But the Lord is their portion. The church provides for the servants of the Lord. And Paul speaks about it. So that's how the Levites directly live from the hand of the Lord. Nothing else. And that's how people call to mind and say, but the Lord is my portion. I want to live directly from the hand of the Lord. That's the only security in life. My life, my strength, my joy, my blessings, my riches, my prosperity, my desire, my portion is from the Lord. And that's what we will see after the sermon. My heart and flesh may fail. Yet God is my strength. I shall prevail. In him I hope. And that hope will never be put to shame. Brothers and sisters, putting your hope in the Lord is never a risky affair. It's not let us hope and see. 
Hoping God means building your life on God's faithfulness. Well, a more secure, angry life you'll never find. The Lord is my portion. That's a confession of faith that sees the Lord as the giver of all good. The source of all riches. In Him we are rich. Even though we may not always feel it like that. But consider the following for a moment. Many people worldwide have only the clothing, their belongings, their arms, no more. You see that, these pictures in Gaza, just a few clothes and maybe a bottle of water, and that's it. And even that not. No food, no medical aid whatsoever. Now, from that perspective, brothers and sisters, look at what the Lord has given us. And not because we deserve it. Yeah, these are Muslims. No, no, no. We don't deserve it either. We are so blessed that we live also here in Western Australia, not in Eastern Australia. These people have just cleaned up their house and a new flood strikes again, or a bushfire, or whatever. And here we are, in the Western part of We are tremendously, richly blessed. And so often we take it for granted. We can grumble about our healthcare system. The cost involved, the availability of these servers. But from a human point of view, many of the humanity, many of humanity cannot see a doctor. And we think maybe of Gaza, but 1.3 million are displaced in Sudan, suffering famine. Look at the war in Ukraine. Almost on the back burner now, but but the suffering goes on, and it's worldwide. Often we focus only one spot because of the news. But if you do a bit of research, then you see how worldwide many people cannot see a doctor, let alone go to a modern hospital, have expensive tests and effective treatment for various ailments, which were fatal even in our nation maybe 50 years ago. Do we thank God for that? And pray for those who have not. I mention these things even though that does not directly refer to our text. The Lord is my portion. This confession wants to make clear there is more to life than material blessings. And therefore there is always hope. May we put it in our hope in God, whose love for us is there every morning. That God's love, that's God's love for us in Jesus, in Jesus Christ, who died for us in our place. So that we have life. And therefore we have hope. Hope even if materially things fall away. Hope even in the face of death. Hope in God. Therefore involves also thanking God for these blessings. Not just in words. But also in deeds. We have to live that confession every day. The Lord is my portion. We live in a society where more and more people have walked away from this sure hope. And we see the consequences. Despite the abundance of wealth, inwardly people struggle with feelings of emptiness. They have it all. But material wealth satisfies. These people go to these concepts and it is tremendously, they think, what an empty life. Do you realize, brothers and sisters, how empty life Without God is. Material wealth doesn't satisfy. 
Al die superstars, how many suicides had they on the suicide? They have it all. They're the world. And still, they can't fathom it. Let us in the place that the Lord has set us show those who cross our path that there is hope. True hope, even for Australia, when there is a return to the Lord and his word. But it starts with us personally, brothers and sisters. Let's first examine ourselves. Where do we live for? Is my hope in God really there? Can you say, together with the author of our text, to live amidst all kinds of destruction and despair, I still have hope, for the God is there. Also, when the Lord causes us to travel through deep valleys, then our prayers may go up, for there is hope. This I will recall, says the Lord, says the author. When in faith, looking back at your life, sometimes it's good to do that. Reflection. Sometimes we do it on a birthday, but oh, when we are so many years married, we reflect on life. But, but for all of us, sometimes it's good to pause. I mean, they're 16, 20, 25, 50, or 80 years old, and you look back on life. Not one second. How many seconds in 80 years of life? Not one second that the Lord was not there. For me, a sinner that hits. And he feels so small. Not really, not one second, wits out he. Although my flesh and heart may fail, God is my strength, I shall prevail. For he whose steadfast love is sure will be my portion evermore. 